the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Churches that go through growth spurts and then they, you know, building projects, they can get off track. It's easy to happen. You start to focus on the growth, you start to focus on buildings, you start to focus on all that kind of stuff, it's easy to get off track. I don't want our church to get off track. And one of the things that we need to be careful about is that the Bible always remains central to everything that we're about, and that we believe it as the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God that changes hearts and lives. This is important. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. As followers and ambassadors of Christ, we look forward to seeing God's church grow as more people hear and receive the gospel. However, if we're not careful, we can easily become distracted and lose sight of what's important, a life that's shaped by the Word. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us the importance of remaining steadfast in God's Word by making it our main focus. In our study, we learn that while new buildings, programs, and expansions are exciting, our commitment to God's Word is crucial. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 3 for part one of today's message titled, Examining Our Gates, the Bible. Good to see everybody. Great to have you with us today. Let's take our Bibles. Go to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. We're actually going to also look at Ephesians 5. If you want to get a head start and put your bulletin in Ephesians 5, you can look that up as well. But Nehemiah 3 is where we're going to start. Let me jump right into our study uh, for the sake of time. We've been looking at Nehemiah 3 for the last few weeks, which deals with the rebuilding of the city walls and gates of Jerusalem. And uh, the city of Jerusalem would lie in ruins for almost 150 years from the time that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon destroyed the city until Nehemiah would oversee the rebuilding project in 444 B.C., uh, the, the people of Jerusalem were just accepting the condition of their city. So Nehemiah comes along. Chapter 3 is about the rebuilding of the city walls and gates. Uh, the city of Jerusalem, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, outlines something like this during the days of Nehemiah. There were 10 gates that are mentioned in chapter 3, and they begin this 
rebuilding project going in a counterclockwise direction. Each gate is named, each gate has a purpose, and we've been talking about how each purpose has a modern parallel today that we can learn something important for ourselves and for our church, particularly because here we are as a church going through our own building project, halfway through it, and uh, we want to be sure that we stay on target, we stay on track with what God wants and his priorities and what honors him the most. So we can learn here from the rebuilding project in Ezra and Nehemiah as the people of Israel rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So far, we've looked at six of the ten gates, starting with the sheep gate going counterclockwise around the city. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to restate what all the purposes of the gates were in the modern parallel. For those of you who are new, you can go to the teaching library and take a look at the past couple of teachings on Nehemiah chapter 3. For those of you who aren't new and you don't know what I'm talking about, why weren't you paying attention? <laughs> but here we are today going to number 7, gate number 7 on the list. It's the water gate, and it is mentioned in verse 26 of chapter 3. I'm going to actually read this section around it so you get the perspective. I'm going to start at verse 22 of Nehemiah 3 and read down through verse 27. This is what it says, verse 22. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Masiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Hanadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Badiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs to a point opposite, and here's the mention, opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. So this is the only reference to the water gate in chapter 3. Now, there are other references to the water gate in the book of Nehemiah, which we will look at this morning as well, but this is the only mention in chapter 3. And I want you to notice something that is important about this gate, different from all the other gates, and that is that this gate didn't actually need to be repaired. All the other gates are spoken of in terms of they rehung the hinges and the bars and the bolts in place. But this is only a point of reference. Notice again there in verse 26. And the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate. It doesn't speak at all about any repairs necessary for the water gate itself. And that is an important point. We'll come back to it at the very end of the Bible study. So just kind of tuck that away for the meantime. Well, like our study from last week on the fountain gate, the study today on this gate deals with, well, as the name implies, water. The fountain gate was about water. The water gate is about water. It is located here on the lower third of the city on the eastern side of the city wall is the Watergate. And it was here that President Richard Nixon authorized an, <laughs> an illegal entry into the Democratic headquarters. All right, now that we've gotten that out of the way, all right, because I know some of you had to have been thinking about that, and those of you under 30 are like, what are they talking about? Google Richard Nixon Watergate, you'll get the whole deal. By the way, Watergate was also the place where, for a time being, Monica Lewinsky lived. 
Let's not go there. Anyway, let's, please move on. All right, all right. So, but anyway, here we are at the Watergate. And the water gate was located by, as we discussed last week, because it was related to the fountain gate, it is located by the Gihon Spring. Now, again, the Gihon Spring was the main water source for the city of Jerusalem. As I mentioned last week, Jerusalem, unlike most other major cities around the world, Babylon, Moscow, Paris, London, Washington, those cities are built around major bodies of water, not Jerusalem. The whole city would survive on the spring of Gihon. And the water gate was located right by the spring of Gihon because it would be there that the people would go through the water gate to retrieve water from the spring. Now, we talked about last week how Hezekiah, around 700 B.C., King Hezekiah, realized that they needed to bring the water source inside the city. And so he ordered this brilliant project to bring the water through solid bedrock by conscripting workers to take pickaxes through solid bedrock 60 feet underground and form a a channel or a tunnel to bring the spring of Gihon into the city and it ended up in the pool of Siloam. We talked about that last week but otherwise people would directly access the Gihon spring by going back and forth through the water gate. That's why it was so named. And in particular, there was a group of people who were responsible, actually, for carrying the water into the city from the Gihon Spring. There's a story, and you don't need to turn, I'll summarize it, back in Joshua chapter 9. The date is around 1300 B.C., okay, so many hundreds of years before the days of Nehemiah. When there was a group of people who were required as a form of punishment to carry all the water from the Gihon Spring to the people of Jerusalem. And the group of people were called the Gibeonites. Now the Gibeonites were not Jews. They were not part of the Israelites. They were local people who were living there in the land. And they were part of the people that the Israelites were supposed to dispossess from the land. When God gave the land of Israel to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, the land was given on oath by God. And after the time of slavery, Joshua leads the people of Israel back to the promised land. And he's about to divide up the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. But God had said to them, you must dispossess the people who are living there. It doesn't belong to them. And part of dispossessing them involved war. And part of war involves death. And people would die. And as a result, the Gibeonites, who were local people, realized the Israelites are going to come and kill us because we're locals living here in the land that God has given them. We're going to die. So they resorted, the Bible says, to a ruse. And the ruse was they decided we're going to make ourselves look like we've traveled from a distant land. We're going to make ourselves look like we're not locals. We're people from a faraway land so that they won't kill us. So what they did, the Bible says, is they messed up their hair. They got themselves all disheveled. They threw on some dust on their faces. They put on tattered clothing. They took wine sacks that were all broken and old, and they took moldy bread and worn out sandals, and they, and they dressed up like this, and they came into the Israelite camp. They're like, hey, yo, we've come from a long ways away. They made it look like it. I mean, they're, they're like up for an Academy Award. It was incredible. And, and they're like, yeah, we're not from around these parts. No, we've come a long ways away. And the Israelites bought it. They bought the whole charade. And the Bible says, and this is a very tragic statement about how you should not rely on your senses. You should rely on the Lord. In Joshua 9, 14, it says that the Israelites sampled their provisions. 
ate their moldy bread to try to make sure that they were from a foreign land, sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. They didn't ask God. They didn't pray. And as a result, they made a peace treaty with the Gibeonites and they swore it on oath. They took an oath that they would not kill them or harm them because they believed they were from a distant land. Three days later, the Israelites realized that they had been duped. And when they realized that, they wanted to kill the Gibeonites. But an interesting thing happens. Joshua steps in and he says, you can't kill them. You took an oath before God and your word is your bond. You swore to them that you would. Yeah, but, no buts. Yeah, but they deceived it. No buts. You know, today we live in a culture where you can sue somebody in a court of law for breach of contract because they deceived you in the initiation of the contract and, and they weren't upfront about all the de- Listen to me. There's an ethical point in Joshua chapter 9. You better do your homework and do your part. And by doing your part, it means don't rely as much on the flesh and your instincts. Pray more and seek God. Okay, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but probably all of us can testify to the fact that we've made some very poor choices and decisions over a lifetime because we relied on our senses. We relied on ourselves and our intuition instead of praying and seeking God. And Joshua steps up and he says, listen, we're guilty too. They deceived us, yes, but we didn't inquire of the Lord. We tasted their moldy bread, so therefore we can't kill them. We swore on oath that we would not harm them. But Joshua, however, does do something to make the Gibeonites, the Gibeonites realize you shouldn't have done this. And it says in Joshua 9.27 that on that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. From that time on, the Gibeonites became water boys for the people of Israel. They had to be the ones to go through the water gate to haul the water from the Gihon Spring to the people of Israel. They did that for about 600 years until Hezekiah comes along and builds a tunnel and then they're greatly relieved. But they are the ones that actually use the water gate more than anybody, the Gibeonites, because they had to be woodcutters and water carriers for the people of Israel. Now that's the historical background about the water gate and the Gihon Spring. Let me bring it closer to home now and talk about the modern application to all this. Water is obviously a very important and precious commodity. Water is something that we need for the sustenance of life and also for cleansing. Both properties. We drink it and we bathe in it. And in that sense, it has a sustaining and cleansing properties. And therefore, in the Bible, when you read sometimes the word water, it is used in a metaphorical term. Water in the Bible sometimes describes things metaphorically, and one of the things that water describes in the Bible is the Bible itself. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5 now, I want to read to you a couple of verses out of Ephesians chapter 5. And you'll notice here that what we're going to read is there's this cleansing effect of the Bible... And so it is written in terms of how it is like water in Ephesians 5, verse 25. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 25. And this is what it says. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through what? The word. Through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church 
without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So again, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, that Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride, the church, and and the, the Lord desires to purify us and cleanse us. And how does that happen? It comes really through the effectual work of God's word in our hearts and lives. We come to relationship with Christ because of the, of the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as Christ is revealed to us, we come into this conviction of our hearts and the Bible has this wonderful purifying effect where it cleanses us. And so Paul says there in Ephesians 5, through 25 to 27, he says, listen, it's like Jesus who is washing us with the water of his word. And therefore, in, in sort of a modern parallel sense, the Watergate, it's number 17 on our ongoing list of principles from Ezra through Nehemiah, the Watergate reminds us of the Bible and that we must continue to keep the Bible central to all that we do, and to teach it as the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God that changes hearts and lives. Amen? Now listen, this is important stuff here. I'm going to be understanding, again, you know, churches that go through growth spurts and then, they, you know, building projects, they can get off track. It's easy to happen. You, you, you start to focus on the growth, you start to focus on buildings, you start to focus on all that kind of stuff. It's easy to get off track. I don't want our church to get off track. And one of the things that we need to be careful about is that the Bible always remains central to everything that we're about and that we believe it as the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God that changes hearts and lives. This is important. Now, I want you to notice with me, if if you're in Ephesians, come back to Nehemiah. I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter 8 now. Jump a couple of chapters over to chapter 8 because I want you to notice that there's a scene at the water gate where scripture is read, and so it's another reason why the Watergate kind of points to the Bible. It points to scripture. It's this whole idea of the Word of God. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read just the first three verses. Look at what it says with me. It says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the Watergate. Okay, so I want you to picture a mass assembly of the people right there on the platform area in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Note that. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon... As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Okay, your attention again. So here we have the scene in front of the water gate where the law of Moses is being read, which is basically the first five books of our Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those, those, that's the Pentateuch, the law of Moses. So that's what they bring out. And all the people have gathered here in the Watergate area, and Ezra is reading the book of the law, the Bible, the word of God. And all the people are listening as he's reading it here at the Watergate. And I want you to notice it says there, look at verse 3, that he read it from daybreak till noon. He read it from 6 a.m. till 12 noon. And you thought our services were long. (laughs) 
We only have an hour church service, friends. You're off easy. It was a six-hour church service in that day. Read it from daybreak till noon for six hours. And I want you to also notice with me, curiously, in verses 2 and 3, it says it twice, once in verse 2 and once in verse 3, that the audience was made up of men, women, and all who could understand, or all who were able to understand. That is the audience who are listening to the teaching of God's word here. The corporate assembly in this scene of Nehemiah chapter 8 was for men, women, and all who were able to understand. In other words, some of the youngest ones were not a part of the corporate assembly. Now, let me just park it here, and I want to just address this for just a few minutes, because this passage of Scripture really does lay out for us the philosophy of ministry here regarded to the proper ways that we try to teach God's Word, which means that we try to teach it on an age-appropriate level. When you read this text, you have to ask yourself, where are those who were not old enough to understand? The children are taken care of. It's inferred in some other way. But the ones who have gathered to listen to the teaching of the word of God in the assembly were the adults primarily. Men, women, and all who were old enough, able to understand. Which is why here at Cornerstone, we encourage you to take advantage of our wonderful children's ministry. And it's why we work so hard at having a good children's ministry. Because we want to teach your children at their age-appropriate level. The corporate worship service is geared more towards an adult setting. And the reason is because the Bible is kind of an adult book with a lot of adult topics, if you haven't noticed. And so, you know, this is why we do some of the things that we do around here. We are sensitive and we love kids, but we want to teach children at their age-appropriate level. Please understand, in the corporate worship setting like this, sometimes stuff that I'm teaching is going to go over children's heads. And some of the stuff that I'm teaching, quite honestly, is not appropriate for young ears. And that's not just because I'm messed up. I mean, because the Bible speaks at a level which sometimes, uh, that's not really age appropriate for the youngest kids. You know, the Bible has some things to talk about. For example, there's some really gruesome murder scenes in the Bible. There's some scenes about, you know, tent pegs and hammers through the temples of people. There's stories about people being beheaded and stories about people being impaled. Those are some pretty gruesome and graphic murder scenes in the Bible. And you might be thinking, well, why don't you just skip over those, Pastor G? Because I go through the whole Bible. We're going to talk about gruesome stuff like that from time to time. We're going to talk about affairs and adultery. There's a lot in here. We're going to talk about, for example, the subject of circumcision. That's in the Bible, friends. All right? Not necessarily child-friendly topics. We're going to talk about some sexual stuff. There's some sexual stuff in the Bible. In case you haven't noticed, there's a whole book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, that's really pretty much about sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. Do you know that Jews were not allowed to read the Song of Solomon until they were 30 years old or married? I got some guys on my pastoral staff who probably shouldn't be reading the Song of Solomon. Even today in an Orthodox Jewish home, you cannot read this book, A Song of Solomon, until you've been bar mitzvahed as a boy or bat mitzvahed as a girl around the age of 13. Because there's some sensitive sexual stuff in the book, A Song of Solomon. Now, right about here, some of you are like, where is that book? I'm going to find that book. I, 
what's this guy talking about? Some of you guys are like, honey, you've never really thought that I did devotions very well. We're going to go home. We're going to start devotions. We're going to... We're going to go to the Song of Solomon. You want to have devotions? We're having devotions, baby. We're going to the Song of Solomon, wherever that book is. All right, calm down, Jack. So here's the deal. The deal is some information is not always age appropriate. And so we, that's why our service is geared more for adults. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. We're so glad you've taken the time out of your day to join us for a period of learning and encouragement for your life. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we'd encourage you to share it with someone you feel could use a little blessing as well. You can find and share this and many additional messages online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us with you on the go with our mobile app. Pastor Gary has also created companion resources that go along with some of the studies he's done. These are available on our website as well. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We at Cornerstone Connection believe that life is done better in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? For those of you in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd like to invite you to join us in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Come to our weekend services and find a warm group of people who would love to be your community. Weekend services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. And we have a midweek gathering on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as Pastor Gary continues through the book of Nehemiah on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.